Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today, I want to preach about a sermon entitled, The Mystery of Temptation, or The Mystery of All Temptation. It's important for us to understand the mystery of all temptation. One time, a wonderful man of God that I very, very much admire, one time made a very powerful statement. And he was talking to believers. And he said that, you know, there are three most powerful things that are responsible for the downfall and destruction of a believer. And this man said, one, he said, was power, Another, he said, was money. And another, he said, was sex. So he said, sex, power, and money, those are the three strongest attributes to fall. They're the three strongest things that we know in the Christian faith responsible for the fall of many saints or believers. And I believe that he was right, 100%, he was right. But as I studied, I continued to study the word, I realized that there was a higher truth to his rightness. You see, I cannot say that in his rightness, there's anything he said that could disqualify or be disqualified in scripture. But when I read the Bible, I saw that it could be right, and all of them are right in their own sense, but what is the truth? What is really true? What is really true? You see? And so I studied the word. It took some time to study the word because I had questions. Then the Holy Spirit showed me something very powerful, very, very powerful. And when I saw it, my eyes were open to the mystery of temptation. The mystery of temptation. The mystery of temptation. Of course, the underlying things concerning temptation, we read the Bible, why are we tempted? The Bible says men are led away by their own word. Lusts, you see. So all of that, the end of this, the end of all that, the foundation of all that is lust. But the Lord showed me the three things that by scripture I could prove are responsible for the downfall and destruction of the believer. I'll begin this way. When we read the gospel of Luke, why do I love Luke? I'm not saying that I don't read Mark or give reference to Mark or Matthew or John. There's something unique about Luke. One, that he was a Gentile writer. And so he has the opportunity of seeing Jesus Christ from a Gentile perspective. 
You see that? And I would be true or right to say that the biggest number of Christians in the world are Gentiles by blood, you see? So there's a reason why as the church died in Jerusalem, the church of the Gentiles thrived up to today. Even when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, the church in the Gentile world has continued to prosper. And of course, I know God has a great plan for Israel. Because if we were grafted in and we have such grace and glory, I know that there is a turning one day for Israel. And the Bible says it shall be a warm and mighty welcome. So we're not worried about Israel. So I love to see Christ from the eyes Luke sees him. And when Luke is studying this Jesus Christ, he realizes, I've always emphasized this, always emphasized this. He realizes that there was no way he would understand the mystery of Christ without understanding the order or the pattern of the spirit. I've said that many times. He said, for as many uh, as having uh, have set before the mysteries, the gospel, the truths, the realities of the kingdom. They set forth these things in the way uh, an order of declaration of those things that were most surely believed among them. It seemed good to me, uh, Luke says, having had a perfect understanding of these things, when I took time to be perfected in the understanding of the things that were surely believed, taught, instructed amongst us, I took time to have a perfect understanding. And in the perfection of the understanding of these things, I realized that the gospel was actually a pattern. Hallelujah. And when I realized the gospel was actually a pattern, I chose then to arrange the gospel in the pattern and order that I see it follows from the very first. He says, I write unto thee in order, O excellent Theophilus, that thou might have the certainty of the things in which you have been instructed. That is powerful. That is powerful. He said, you cannot be established, you cannot have the certainty of the instruction of the Spirit when you have not understood the order of the Spirit. Certain things come first before others. And sometimes, some of the writers in the Gospels did not respect that order. Why? Because for them, certain things are obvious in the culture, the Jewish culture. You see that? But they're not obvious for the Gentile. And because they're not obvious for the Gentile, it's important for me, the Gentile, to understand that order for what seems obvious to the Jew. You see that? For what seems obvious to the Jew. So, I want to pick this narrative from the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter. Why? Because we want to see a certain order. All right? Now, in Luke, the fourth chapter, the first verse, we are taken uh, to a wonderful story that I feel tonight will bless you. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. He returns from the baptism of water from Jordan and is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, the Bible says that there were 40 days of temptation of the devil and in those days, Jesus did not eat anything and when they were ended afterward, he hungered. The third verse says, the devil said unto him, if thou be the son of God, command this stone that it may be made bread. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil taking him up high and to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give to thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and whomsoever I will give it to. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only thou shalt serve. And then he brought him up to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, he says, for it is written that he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when, listen, verses 13, when the devil had ended all temptation. He didn't say when the devil had ended the temptation on the Christ. He said when the devil had ended all temptation, he departed from him for a season. When the devil had ended, and I want you to underline that. When the devil had ended all temptation. When the devil had ended all temptation, he departs away from Jesus for a season. And what does the next verse say? And Jesus returned back in the power of the Holy Spirit in Galilee. He comes back in the power. He is led by the Holy Ghost in the wilderness and he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody shout amen. amen. But my emphasis is that the devil was done with all temptation. That means if I can help you understand what happened in these three realms of temptation, you'll understand all temptation. You'll understand all temptation. That's the mystery of temptation. It's written there. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Who was the most dangerous man in the history of the world? Jesus, to the devil. If you want to discuss the most dangerous man in the history of the world, you'll talk about Jesus, isn't it? Why? Because the axis of human history is changed and charged to the next level of the God life because of one man, Jesus Christ. So if Satan was to tempt, who would he tempt most? That's why the Bible says it was tempted in all ways. You see? Underline again all. So if Jesus should be the one tempted most because he is the biggest threat, he's going to bring many sons to glory, that means what is tempted in the Christ should be the strongest temptation human history will ever see. Otherwise, then how can another man in the world be tempted beyond Christ? It's not possible. Do you agree? So now, we are studying the mystery of temptation, or the mystery of all temptation. You see that? For the mature, you can underline the mystery of all temptation. It's in these three things. All right? Now, let's go back to that first one. The first temptation, if we go back, the devil said unto him in the third verse, If you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Let me ask this. Who told the devil he was the Son of God? He knew it. You see, the man he is tempting has not yet started doing miracles, signs and wonders. He's not yet demonstrated power. He's not claimed anywhere. 
So he says, if you are. So by the time the devil says, if you are, he's questioning the sonship. He's questioning the identity of the Christ. Are you seeing that? And he's not questioning the identity of the Christ because he does not know the identity of the Christ. But he wants to take advantage of the identity of Christ to tempt him. Somebody shout hallelujah. By questioning him. He's not saying you are the son of God. Do. No. He's saying if you are the son of God, turn these stones to be made bread. See that? If you are. He's trying to tell Jesus, prove that you are. Prove that you are. And Jesus tells him that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Now, what is he saying? He's saying that I do not live in the identity of sonship, only in the realm of proving my sonship. There is more to this sonship. And that sonship is purpose. What is the purpose of turning this stone into bread? Do you understand that? What is the purpose? Do you know how many people, how many ministers especially, have gone beyond the responsibility of the mandate and assignment of God of their lives and not accountable of the gift of God on their lives but have fronted the gift, the talent, the skill, the abilities and potential to prove that they are sons of God, to prove that they are prophets, to prove that they are apostles, to prove that they are pastors. One time, somebody sent me a little clip and there's this guy saying, if I be a prophet, father, let this happen, if I be. <laughs> if you be, <laughs> if you be, at what point have you been tempted to question if you are? And what makes you think that by proving you are, you're made any more of what you are or less of what you're not? It has no bearing. If you are African, you're African. Can somebody say, can you prove that you're African? Come on. Come on. You understand what I'm saying? Do I need to prove to anybody that I'm African? No. Father, do this to show them that I'm African. Really? Do this to show them that I'm a man. Really? You cannot be tempted to a place of proving of your nature unless you don't understand that your nature comes with a responsibility. You're not an animal. You're a human being, for example. There are things that as a human being you cannot do because that's your nature. Somebody shout amen. amen. And so we see something very powerful here. That this fellow has picked something from the full revelation of God and he is seeking for the Christ to break the higher law of the spirit by inclining to fulfill this small thing of proving himself. Let me give you a simpler example. One time when I was growing up, we used to move with a group of people to go preaching. A group of men of God. We used to go preach, preach, preach. And so before we get on the pulpit to preach, you know you're probably going to preach in tongues. And this guy turns to you and tells you, I'm going to show them. You know, I'm going to show them. Huh? I'm going to show them. 
You understand? So why is he getting on the pulpit? He's getting on the pulpit to show them. He wants to show them that he's anointed. You see that? He's going to show them. You see? And they swung clothes and people were slain. Not because there was an instruction. Not because sunesis or phronesis. The wisdoms of God demanded that. But because they wanted to prove that they were men of God. They wanted to prove that they were anointed by God. Can I show you that I'm a prophet? Can I show you that I'm an apostle? Can I show you? Can I show off? One time I saw a video of a guy saying, Can I show? Can I show? The kingdom of God is not about showing up. Jesus was not a show off. In fact, there are places Jesus heals and he tells them, Don't tell anybody. Because purpose preceded that show off. To God, it was the supernatural vision and responsibility not the spectacular experience and attention somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah so how many people have turned stones into bread how many worshipers are singing a certain way so they will know that they have nice voices how many <laughs> how many people are doing whatever they're supposed to do to show off that they are what they feel that they are that's a very, very dangerous thing. Why? Because that's the beginning of corrupting your gift. That's the beginning of corrupting the call of God on your life. That's frustrating the grace operating on your life. That's frustrating the grace. For example, let's talk about people who have money. Why does the Bible say that when riches increase, set not your heart on them? Because if you set your heart on riches... You start to think that those riches make you. <laughs> Yet the Bible says in the time of trouble, your money will not save you. You see? Steve Jobs was wealthy. But he died of cancer. Did his money save him? No, it did not save him. The poor man died. You see? The poor man died. Even with all the wealth he had, there was something in him that was poor. His wealth would not save him. You see that? That your trust should not dwell in the things that are seen. But your trust should be in the living God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout amen. amen. And so we see Jesus here showing us a very powerful thing. That you have touched a bit of this. But you have not given the full sum and accountability of the wife. You have not given the wholeness of this revelation. We don't live by that bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. That means every proof in our spirit as ministers is interconnected to the bigger purpose of God. It's not entirely to introduce us before men. It is there to exalt God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Even deeper than that, that's why when you understand this, oh, when you understand this, you'll know the difference between the law and grace. Do you know... <laughs> That when you teach the law, when you live under the law, you seek to justify the self. When a man says, I'm living under the law, he seeks to justify himself. When a man is living under the law, he's doing things, he's serving God, he's ministering before God in his own ability or efforts. Isn't it? But when a man inclines to grace, he's saying, I cannot do it in my own ability, for it is God who works in me both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Am I preaching to someone? Amen. But would it shock you 
that the devil is telling Jesus to turn this stone into bread? Oh, let me explain. Bread is for the eating, as is the word, right? For Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He is the word that was made flesh and dwelt among men and we beheld his only glory as the only true son of God, full of grace and truth. Now he's saying, oh, 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 turn this stone into bread. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, the law was written on tablets of stone. The law was written on tablets of stone. He's saying, turn this law into the message. And yet the Bible tells you that by the law, no flesh shall be justified. Because the law seeks to weigh the flesh. Are you hearing me? That it might draw man to the saving knowledge of God's grace. But many are still in the law. When a man is under the law, he looks to what he does, his abilities, his grace, everything that operates is around him. Because it points to the self. When a man relates with grace, everything now points to Jesus Christ. This is a temptation. And not many Christians, even men with PhDs in theology, understand this. Because you see, theology, the study on God, is different from an experience of God. Not every man who has studied God has an experience of God. Some know him, some know about him. Somebody shout amen. amen. So I'm not against studying, but only study that you might know him, not of him. Say amen. So that's a big one. The biggest temptation is on the message. Because the message defines our identity. If you are the son. So if you're talking about one of the most distinctive things of which the devil will tempt you on, it will begin with the temptation of proving your identity. But never forget that in the seeking of proving of your identity, he either wants you to go under the law in the process of proving your identity or yield to grace and allow the identity of Christ to be revealed in you. I must decrease and he must increase. Somebody shout amen. amen. And so when the devil sees that he cannot have him, and I want to emphasize this, man shall not live. By bread alone. I want to emphasize this. Understand the whole portion of the word from the beginning to the end. Paul speaks of how he has revealed the full counsel or the whole counsel of God. So he's not accountable of any man's blood. You must understand the gospel from the beginning to the end. When the devil sees that he can't get that, the second temptation, he takes him up on a mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he tells them, you know, those kingdoms are in my hand. He showed them to him in a moment of time. That means it was a spiritual experience, not just a physical. You cannot see the whole world, you know, in a moment of time. So in a moment of time, he sees the kingdoms of the world and tells him, you know what? Those are all in my hand. And I will give them to you if you bow before me. He tells him, look at these kingdoms. They're not just kingdoms of stone and dust and glass. No, they have a glory. They have a glory. 
worship me and I'll give these things to you. I'll give all this power and glory to you. And what is he saying? He's saying that if a man has an identity, if a man understands who he is, then he will test him on how much knowledge he has on the power given him because of who he is. Isn't it ironic that Satan is tempting the word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with whom the world was created, through whom nothing that is made was made, and is telling him, bow before me and I will give you the kingdoms of this world and their glory. He's trying to test whether Jesus knows how much power is given to him as a son in the flesh. You see that? Because remember, Jesus had to submit himself in humility, even though he was like God. But he had to submit himself in humility to grow as a normal man. And so we see him, the son of God. He's waxing in wisdom and stature, obtaining favor before God and man. So if he's growing in wisdom, it means that there were stages of the Christ in his young age where he did not know certain things in the flesh. He had to undergo the whole experience of receiving the Holy Ghost. You see what I'm saying? So, he increases in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. So he knows that this guy in that submission doesn't know everything. So he tells him these kingdoms, he assumes that if he puts these kingdoms and the glory and the power, now that I know that you are the son of God, let me put a transaction of giving you everything that I have if you will worship me. And that's the power of worship. That's the power of worship. The devil would have given everything he had if Jesus would worship him. Everything he had physically, he was willing to give it over if Jesus would worship him. Because the man knows who he is. His identity is clearly defined. And so now he's telling him, Bow, just worship me. Just worship me. And Jesus answered and tells him, Get thee behind me, Satan. And he says, For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only thou shalt serve. Him only thou shalt serve. Him only thou shalt serve. So there are two things to this. We're defining the realm of worship. And that's okay. But deeper than that, we are defining the place of power. And that's how I agree with the other gentleman. When he speaks about power, that's where I agree with him. Only in the three things that I mentioned, that this for me is the second. That when you get to know who you are as a child of God, every day you get a revelation of how much power is available to you. How much authority is available to you? How much glory is available to you? How much you are able to do because you know God? Somebody shout hallelujah. And Satan is saying that I tempt with what I have to those who I assume, this is Satan, whom I assume don't know what they have. So if they are willing to transact what they have 
for what I have because they do not know what they have, then I have them. Do you know how many people, do you know how many people do not know how much power is given to them? Do you know how many believers don't know how much power is available to the church? And do you know because of that, how many people have transacted for lesser, inferior, even darkness of the things of this life without the knowledge of how much was available for them? I'm talking about that person who thinks that without marrying a non-believer, for example, they will never make it in life. Because he bought her a car. He bought her a house. He built the mother a house. And then took the brother to school. And then she gets the testimony of Jesus Christ. And transacts it on the altar of her marital destiny. Because she must get married. If she knew God, she would realize that all of these things that this non-believer gave her, she had even more in Christ Jesus. Even more in Christ Jesus. Do you know how many people have compromised their integrity? How many people have compromised their visions? How many people have compromised their aspirations? Some people have compromised their dreams and plans because they do not know what God has given them. I know of a believer who got so attacked by the devil many, many, many years. Many, many years. And this believer's parents told her that we're going to come and get a witch doctor because it's the only way you can get out of this. And out of too much suffering, they brought a witch doctor home. And the witch doctor started, you know, performing rituals and cutting her skin. And she writes to me and he tells me, you know what? I was taken to a witch doctor because my parents are overwhelmed. I say, what? You're born again, your tongue speaking, and you are able to allow a man who is flesh and blood like you to cut your skin because you failed to find answers in God. You just don't know who you are. That's why when Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, he's praying that the eyes of their understanding will be flooded with light, that they will know what is the hope of their calling and what are the glorious riches of inheritance of the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of power that is at work within those who believe. And that same power he wrote when he raised Christ from the dead. He's saying, if you can compromise with that power, then you are questioned whether you even believe Jesus was raised from the dead. Because if you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, if that same power could not leave Jesus in hell, it cannot leave disease in your body. It cannot leave bondage in your body. It cannot leave poverty in your house. It cannot leave corruption. It cannot leave destruction. But many transacted there. And these want to believe God for the power of the Holy Ghost. How does that work? How do you live and walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit when you fail this? Because these are now wilderness testations. Remember, in the wilderness, God kills you. God teaches you, but he allows temptation for your maturity. And many fail there. And then they live a very miserable life of salvation because they did not know when they transacted. I tell people, 
that when you grow in God, there is a point where the devil, in as much as he hates you, he will want to make a deal with you. Because he knows it's the only way he can win. If he fights and can't win, then he will try to negotiate a deal with you. And many don't know where they dealt. Some of you dealt and compromised yourselves many years ago. And some of the things you're going through now as a result of transactions you did many years ago. And your heart and mind has not come to terms to understand where the transaction was done and what was supposed to be done about that. You're so compromised in your spirit that the Holy Spirit can't even minister to you in the simplest sense. But he's available. He loves you and he wants to save you tonight. Even for the sermon that you're listening tonight, some of you are coming out in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. amen. Shout amen. amen. So you see, Jesus emphasizes, and he said, it is written, that I shall worship the Lord your God, and only him you will serve. Because Jesus is saying, I know what God has. I know how much power is available for me who believes in God. The Bible speaks of how he rewards them which diligently seek him. But how? When they come to him, they must know that God is. That God is. Because without faith, he says, it is impossible to please God. You must come to God knowing that he is. What is he? The redeemer. He is your answer. He is the life. He is the hope. He is the peace. He is the joy. He is the victory. He is everything that you'll ever need and even more. El Shaddai, the God which is more than enough, that is Jesus Christ. You must know that he is and the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So he tests how much consciousness you are or have to the power or with the power that is available to you. That is available to you. Because when it comes to the believer, the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that power is available. Whether you are awakened to it, whether you are enlightened to it, whether you are taught of it, whether you are instructed in it or not, it's available like somebody owns a car. Whether you know how to drive it or not, whether it has fuel or it doesn't, it's your car. Somebody shout hallelujah. So when Satan realizes that this fellow has passed the place of identity, then let me see whether he knows how much power he has. Or if he doesn't, then can I transact with him some of the power? Or I'm even willing to give all the power if he can worship me. Or if he can denounce God in the process. Somebody shout hallelujah. So when Jesus speaks that you shall worship the Lord God, he's saying that the true worshiper is awakened to the power of God that is at work within them. I don't know whether you got it. Worshippers are not people who sing. <laughs> That's a big misconception. It's a big misconception of the spirit of worship. The spirit of a worshiper is not a good voice. There are many people who sing without the spirit of worship. But the revelation of worship is in the place where a man is awakened to the power 
the majesty, the glory, the bigness of God. It's out of that bigness that you worship him. I exalt you. It's out of that bigness. It's out of that revelation of his majesty. You say be exalted. Oh God. We worship you. You are great. You do miracles. So great. That's a revelation. There is no one else like you. You see that? There is no one else like you. That's a revelation. Which every worshiper is simply expressing the revelation of God's goodness. You see that? Of God's goodness. If you do not know how big God is, how mighty he is, how strong he is, how powerful he is, how great he is in you, you cannot be a successful and efficient worshiper of God. You see? That's the realm of worship. So, Satan fails on the exchange of power. Then he goes to the third thing. So he says, okay, now that you have that revelation of power, let me test you in performing beyond the liberties of that power. Let me test you to perform beyond the liberties, I repeat, of that power. So he brings him up in Jerusalem and sets him high on the pinnacle of the temple. And he tells him, you know, I know how much power is available. And previously in the last temptation, you said it is written. So let's go to the realm of it is written. So he brings him to, and he says, okay, let's go to the pinnacle of this temple. Tells, okay, you said it is written. Let me also quote, it is written. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee from falling. Now, fall off this cliff and let's see the angels catch you. Now we are on it is written. You thought I don't know the word? The devil is saying, I too know the word. I can quote it for you because you quoted it in the previous temptation. It is written. It is written that he will send his angels charge over you to bear you lest you dash yourself against the stone. So fly off this cliff and what? And fall. And Jesus said, verses 12, it is said, now we're no longer in the realm of written, it is said, and it's deliberate. I'm going to emphasize that a bit later and open it up for you. But it says, it is said that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil saw that, he ended all temptation. Because he might speak in the realm of what is written. But when it comes from the mouth of God and it's emphasized in what is said. He doesn't know how to go further than that because he cannot question. He can misquote what is written, but he can't misquote what is said. <laughs> oh, glory. He can misquote what is written. And that's why there are some scriptures or Bibles that you might not understand, but he cannot misquote what is said by the Father. But here is the emphasis. Now that you know that you have such power available to you, Let's see whether you will go beyond the liberties available for you in that power and break the boundaries and code of responsibility concerning the power 
that is available to you. How many people even understand what I'm saying? How many believers even understand what I'm saying? Do you know how many people fall on this one? No, we're no longer trying to prove that we're sons. But we're talking about the places where we expand the boundaries of the liberties defined for us because we are awakened to the power available. I'll give you an example. Paul stands before the church and he realizes that these people are his reward in the Lord. He already says it. In his own scripture, he says, for ye are our reward in God. You see? And he's awakened to how much power is on his life and he knows at the point when he has a, a health issue, he says, for I saw how much attention, how much love you showed me in the time of my infirmity. And he says, for you are even willing to give me your own eyes. That means, of course, the biblical students will tell you, Paul had a problem with his sight. So when he's saying, for you were even willing to give me your eyes, he realized men loved him to a place where if a man had the opportunity to give Paul his eyes, he would have given Paul his eyes. Men can love you when you're a preacher. Men can fall in love with you when you reveal God. And some can even go to the place of losing their own life or everything they possess because of how much power is around you. Now the temptation comes. Because it is written. It is written. So let's go, it is written. Do not come to the prophet empty-handed. It is written. It is written that you shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn or the hay. It is written. It is written. Every worker is worthy of their meat. It is written. And Paul sees this temptation and he says in Corinthians that, Oh, fellows, I preached this gospel with no charge. I could have charged you because there's something written that allows me to charge you. But he says, but where is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. That I abuse not my power in the gospel. So what is he saying? It is right for you to give me. But because I don't want to abuse the power of God on my life, I will never charge you for the gospel. But there's a man who uses what is written to charge men for the gospel. So yes, the gift stays, but he has abused the power of God operating on his life. He has abused the power of God. These things are so deep. These things are for ministers. But you see, that's what the apostolic does. We, we just have to share it because I know not many of us might understand this. But one day, these videos will be played before men who really understand. And that's how the church of Jesus Christ is built. That is why I have never put a charge on any sermon that I've preached. That is why I have never put a charge on any man for my need, for the affairs of my house, for the affairs of my men. I have never put any charge on any man concerning the gospel because 
I know that I have a liberty on my spirit to call a man in the world and tell him that I need three or four hundred thousand dollars and they'll send it without asking what do you need it for. But there is a power that I'm abusing because of the liberty that I have by the measure that is given me to make a ministry in their hearts. The Bible says that we reach you by the rule of the measure that is given us. If a man was willing to give Paul his eyes, wouldn't he have sold everything? He would. But to tell a man, sell your house because the house of God needs a TV, uh-uh. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus said, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I would rather you keep your house unless the Lord tells you. Unless the Lord tells you. But I'll never put a charge on a man because there's a need in the kingdom. He said he'll build his church. Let him build it. That's just one. I just spoke about finances. But there are many other ways we could abuse the liberties available for us. And that's why the scriptures tell us that do not use your liberty for malice or as vice. Don't abuse your liberties. How many people are abusing the liberties of the spirit because they are free? You can control anyone. You can control anything. And then you become malicious. He says this liberty is supposed to make us servants. Not lords over men. Hello, First Peter two sixteen. He says, "As free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. That freedom should humble you the more. That liberty should humble you the more. Some men, if you don't have twenty bodyguards, they can't come out of the buildings because they are men of God. No, that liberty, that power that you have in God, should humble you the more." And sometimes I see young men go like that and the apostolic in you wants to help. But they're not invited to the wisdom of the apostolic because they don't know we cannot do anything against the truth but for the truth. And so what is supposed to be seen in love? A man thinks that you're attacking his ministry and then 2, 10, 5, 15 years later, you see him go. I've prophesied the shaking of certain prophetic movements in certain nations. Those of you who have been watching, I've seen these prophets have been shaken even out of those nations. But these are things an apostle would have saved. These are things an apostolic voice would have said. But they don't understand the language of the apostolic. You see? They don't get it. They don't understand that the body of Christ is one. The pastor has his part. The apostle has his part. The prophet has his part. The evangelist. Oh, some people think that because they hear God, that's it. No, it's not enough. There are certain parts of God you might never be able to hear. Elijah did not know there were 7,000 prophets in Israel. Yet he could kill any Baal prophet. He could call on fire from heaven and it would come down. But he was not open in the spirit to know that there were 7,000 men which had not bowed themselves to Baal. You don't know everything. And that is why some are caught off guard. When they claim to see everything, they are caught off guard. And they don't know what to do. Never abuse the liberty available for you. That temptation is powerful. I pray to God that he may help us understand what I'm saying. I pray to God that beyond the language that I've spoken, he will give you the full understanding of this thing. I just gave an example of money concerning the liberties, but there are many other things that we could abuse because we have power.
Because we have power. Because we have power. And how many men of God and women of God are controlling people in church? Because they have power over them. A young girl showed me a text message from a man of God. He said, the Lord has told me that if you don't fund my ministry, all your business is going to fail. I was so broken. He said, how crazy can we be that God has limited a woman's blessing in the funding of your ministry? Biblically. Is that the reason why we're successful? No, he has given us principles. Our fast fruits, our offerings, remembering the poor, our tithes or whatever. These are biblical. What you're saying, man of God, is not biblical. But you are abusing your power in the gospel because the liberty is there for you to do whatever you please because you have power over this individual. When you do that, and I've seen many ministers whose ministries have decimated and gone down and gone down until they have nothing. They keep their pride, but the ministry is gone. It always happens. Why? Because they abused their power in the gospel. That's not the power that opens blind eyes. That's not the power that makes the lame walk. That's not the power that cleanses the leper. No, that's the power that still commands authority in the heart of a man who fears God. Just raise your voice and speak to God. Because the Bible says then, that was all the temptation. All the temptation that would have been given. That's all you could ever be tempted. Concerning your identity, the power that is given you, and the boundaries and the liberty of God because of the power that is given you. And that is why when that was done, the Bible says, and when he had ended all temptation, he departed from Jesus. And if you can pass that, the Bible says Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Ghost. You'll start walking and functioning in the power of the Spirit. The anointing of Jesus Christ will start operating on your life for the opening of the blind eyes and the deaf hearing and the dumb speaking. Many more such things, even beyond the gifts of the Spirit. God will give you an authority in the Spirit realm to be able to command things that gifts cannot command. If you do that, you will do well in the gospel. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Speak in other tongues. Speak in other tongues. Speak in other tongues. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfectly a great high priest whose name is love whoever lives and lives for me whoever lives and lives for me my name is graven on his hand my name is written on his hand I know but while in heaven he stands, no tongue can be near. Come on, speak in other tongues. And this is my prayer for you. That you will understand that out of love, God wants to keep you above all temptation. That even as you continue to know who you are in God, 
how much power is available for you as a child of God and to exercise the liberties available for you in the world you will stand that even beyond what is written also there are things God has said some of which he told you personally in the absence of many and these things guard in your consecration I pray that you will stand blameless on the day of Christ not in your abilities but in the abilities of the word and his grace alone and that he can only do by the word that comes to us the Bible says I've cleansed them through the word so thank you because you deal with us and help us if we've fallen somewhere align us to your will and purposes that we'll do better because we dream to serve you and to live for you only in Jesus name amen if you're sick in your body I speak healing right now in the name of Jesus Christ be healed be healed be healed neck issues are getting healed back issues are getting healed joint issues are getting healed in Jesus name amen if you've never given your life to Christ I want to give you an opportunity to repeat these words after me just say Lord Jesus I believe that you died for my sins and was raised for my glory tonight I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior I'm born again the message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International for more information contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com you can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.